2019 is shaping up to be the year when the music industry puts its pledge to increase diversity and inclusion into actual practice. While this doesn't by any means solve the problem, it's a good start. Welcome to the future of what? I'm your host, Portia Sabin, president of the independent record label, Kill Rockstars. Support for the future of what comes from Merch Table. With over 15 years of experience in merchandising, screen printing, tour support, and online fulfillment, Merch Table partners with artists and labels looking to jumpstart their business. Visit merchtable.com to learn more and open a store today. On today's episode, we talk to people who are changing the face of the industry in a non-theoretical way. It's all coming up on The Future of What. Support for the future of what comes from Sound Exchange. You're listening to the future of what. I'm talking to Michelle Ballantyne of the RIAA. Michelle, welcome to the future of what. Thank you very much, Portia. So our episode today, we are focusing on the efforts in 2019 that have been happening in the music industry in the area of diversity and inclusion. And the reason I wanted to talk to you is because I am on the board of the RIAA, and this was my second board meeting in back in February. Mm-hmm. And when I walked in the door, I was completely blown away by the new cast of characters on the board of the RIAA. And I know that you and the new CEO, Mitch Glazier, were instrumental in putting together this board, and I just wanted to say, hey, great job. <laughs> Thank you so much. And ask you to talk a little bit about that. As you know, achieving diversity doesn't just happen, right? This is a conversation Mitch and I have had over the course of several years. And even though change rarely comes easily and there are inherent challenges to it, we really wanted to make a proactive effort to make things different to reflect the diversity in our industry, whether it's in genre or gender, race and experience, and even location. And for example, like you, Portia, from Washington State, which is the home to legendary music scene, we wanted to include different aspects and experiences and perspectives from across the country. Yeah, and I think you guys have really accomplished it. I was quite impressed. I'm really happy to hear that. (laughs) Really happy to hear that. No, we're very proud of it, right? I mean, we were really pleased to accomplish this very early in our tenure. And we know that, you know, it's really important to lay down a marker of what you want the organization to look like and what you want the board to look like. Absolutely. I think one of the exciting parts about this moment in history is that I tend to think that we have a deeper bench right now of women and people of color and people from different backgrounds Mm -hmm. all across the industry. And so when people like you and Mitch decide that you want to revamp how the board looks, Mm -hmm. you have more options right now than probably ever before. I think that's right. I mean, it's really great to see. And, you know, that's something we see here in Washington, too. There are many more women members of Congress. It's the most diverse class ever in the history of the Congress. There are more women in state legislatures and even in the U.S. Senate. So, I mean, which is the last bastion, I think. But, you know, it's just really important. And we want to make sure if you want to have a more diverse group of people at the top, you have to grow them up from inside as well. 
Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about how you guys did this, because I know that there was a, a process. You really thought it out and you and you figured out how to make this happen. Well, Mitch and I, like I said, we talked a lot about it. We approached our companies very early on and said, this is something that we'd like to put in place. They were all very supportive. And, you know, we went from there. It, we asked them to help us by identifying some key folks who might be interested and willing to participate because, you know, not everyone wants to be on the board of the RIAA, although I can't imagine why. It's so much fun. <laughs> but it's really great. Like, we got such a good response from our member companies that, you know, it was so helpful. And in some cases, we had several candidates. And some people just couldn't do it due to their time constraints with their jobs. But, you know, we had lots of conversations with them and we made sure that people understood early on that this was something that we wanted to do. This is how we want to reflect the industry and the RAAA, and we want participation and engagement. And people are excited about it, and they were excited to be asked and excited to be included. Yeah. And now I understood that it was, you sort of pulled the companies and you found yep. names of people who were EVP and higher. So they needed to be a specific rank in the company. Well, the companies felt strongly about that because our executive committee who oversees us as well are all a certain level. And we want the people who are included on the board to feel like they are amongst their peers. Yeah. and I, But I think that's really exciting, right? Yeah. That you were able to you know, have that as the stipulation and still come up with such a terrific number of people and candidates that you could invite. That's right. And like I said, there were some who said, sorry, we can't because we're just too busy, but keep us in mind to do other things with you at the RAA. And that was exciting as well, because it was a good opportunity to go and meet some people and make some relationships and reach out to make sure that, you know, people know that we want them to be engaged. So I think the experience of having to go out and, and identify folks was good. And it was also, like you said, illuminating. There are more people out there than you might think at first blush. And I think that's a reason to to remain very positive and hopeful about everything. Absolutely. So the industry as a whole is really sort of having an introspective moment right now and considering diversity and inclusion in a lot of ways. I know that we saw that with the Grammy Awards. Yes. How definitely. successful do you feel that the music industry is being right now? Well, I think that there's a lot of positive steps that have been taken and things that we should be proud of. But I also think that, like everything else, more work to be done. You know, what, what are the next steps? How can we all get involved? What can we do to help? So I think that we have made some good strides forward. The Annenberg Report was one good example, the Grammys Task Force on Inclusion. And now you're seeing more and more things like just last week, the Today Show did this hashtag see her, hear her event, and they're going to be rolling out a bunch of female artists and different people to showcase the role of women. So there's women in the mix. There's the inclusion uh, rider where you have to have at least two women in the selection process every time a producer or engineer is hired. So there are lots of good things that we can point to. But I just think, you know, this is like anything else. You can't just say, well, okay, we've done these two things or five things. We can, we can stop here. We have to keep 
moving forward (laughs) and building upon the success, right? And seeing where we can go with it because, you know, we are not going to solve this problem overnight. If you want diversity, you got to work hard at it. And it's important to be really intentional about it. Absolutely. I feel very encouraged by the way that Mitch is the CEO and you're the COO, but Mm -hmm. certainly in Mm -hmm. the board meeting that I was at, you guys were really running this as a team. Yes. And it felt very much like you're just as much the person in charge as Mitch, which was really great. He would tell you that I am in charge, but (laughs) we've had that relationship actually pretty well from day one. I mean, it's kind of funny and I feel very lucky to have that experience with him, but, you know, we complement each other's weaknesses and strengths and, you know, shore each other up and support each other. We have an open dialogue and I think that's really important. So I think, you know, I feel very lucky to have him as a partner and I think he would say the same. But we, we work hard at it, like any relationship. It, you have to work at it, but I think it's great, and it's really positive, and, and I think we are going to be able to make you know, a real difference. Yeah, and I, I hope that we are all going to make a real difference. I don't know if you're familiar with this, and I can't remember the name of the initiative, but it came out of Europe, and it was basically with the idea of creating gender parity at festivals. Oh, have you heard about that? No, I have not heard about that. That's a really interesting one, and I'm going to be really interested to see how that works out. Yes. Because that's something where it's not just a question of people's personal taste and putting together something that works, but it's actually like commerce. Right. So I'm I'm fascinated to see how that's going to go down in the United States, but I know that they're working towards it in Europe, so. Well, I mean, you can't understate it, right? I mean, one of my friends always likes to tell me about this 2015 MIT study that said that top predictor of success in a group, it's not the group's collective intelligence or cohesion, but the number of women in the group, because women have a better social sensitivity. They can read the room better. They understand nonverbal cues and they act in a way that sort of fosters success and helps to move things forward. Hmm. And I like that I have friends that tell me these things, but it's, it's true. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's something that, you know, we have to embrace and support and just, you know, make it happen, like push forward, push for it. And I think, you know, we can make a real difference. And, you know, as a woman and a person of color, this is so important to me because I think it's just really important to get people in the room, to hear their different perspectives, to mentor them, just everything. And that just really actually ends up helping everything go forward. And once people figure out that it could also help your bottom line, I think we'll be in really great shape. Absolutely. Well, Michelle Valentine, COO of the RIAA, thank you so much for being with me today on The Future of What? Oh, thank you, Portia. It's great to talk to you.
That was Last Chance County by Filthy Friends. If you're enjoying this program, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. Follow us on Twitter at KRSFOW and subscribe to our newsletter to find out what's coming up next. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Richard Burgess of A2IM. Richard, welcome back to The Future of What. Thank you for having me, Portia. It's always a pleasure. So today we are talking about diversity in the music industry diversity and inclusion. And I wanted to talk to you because I know that A2IM has sort of jumped on this. You know, I feel like 2018 was the year of the punch in the face. And then 2019 is the year of sort of everyone deciding to do stuff about it. But I feel like A2IM under your leadership has been kind of ahead of the curve. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about how you guys decided to run Indie Week last year which is the A2IM annual conference. Thank you, yes. Well, you know, it's funny. I feel like there was some kind of wrinkle in the time-space continuum about 18 months ago because I decided 12 months before Indie Week last year that we were going to gender balance. And then at some point after that, the whole Weinstein thing blew up and the Me Too movement and Time's Up and everything. And then not long after that, Vanessa Reed reached out to me from the PRS Foundation to, you know, get us to sign up to the initiative that would, you know, say that we would gender balance our conferences and festivals by 2022, I think it was, but I'd already decided we were going to do it by 2018. <laughs> and it was kind of, it's kind of strange how this all happened in one year period. And I'll tell you why I think it was strange, because I've been writing about this since I actually wrote the manuscript for my first book in 94 called The Art of Record Production at the time. And, and in there, I put a section, which in the second, third, and fourth editions wound up being a chapter on the dearth of women producers and engineers, because in my research, it showed less than 5%. 
The Annenberg Institute research shows less than 2%, but they only looked at the top 600 albums. I looked at the entire sort of releases for the year as best I could. So, you know, it's been a thing that I've been concerned about for a long time and why there are less than 5% producers and engineers are women. But then, you know, you can't avoid the fact that there's just the dearth of women, you know, represented everywhere, conferences, award shows, you name it. So, you know, since more than 50% of the population are women, I thought, well, we just got to fix this. And so we set about doing it and we did it last year. I mean, we'd already decided to do it before PRS Foundation reached out to us and I wasn't going to wait till 2022. I mean, there's going to be no more women proportionally in the world by 2022. There are in 2018, so let's just do it. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, absolutely. Logic would dictate. Exactly. I won't speak for you, but it certainly didn't seem to me like it was hard for you guys to come up with gender parity in the makeup of the various panels. I don't think it was. I mean, it, it was work. You had to dig a little deeper. And I think that's the key is that, you know, one of the things I say in the office a lot is, look, the biggest unconscious bias we have is who we know. And I've talked to a lot of women about this, by the way, and women have said the same thing. They say, yeah, you know, when I first think about who would be good for blah de blah I think of a bunch of guys because, you know, the industry has been dominated by men for so many years that that's natural enough. And even women say that to me. So, I mean, it's just something we have to get around and we have to say, you know, sure, it's fine. Write your short list down out of who you know, but then go several levels deeper. And, and my advice to anyone trying to do this is you just got to start with a large pool, right? you know, with a diverse pool. So if you have a diverse pool of candidates where at least 50% of the candidates are women and minorities and so on and so forth, because it isn't just women, but women's the most egregious underrepresentation. And then when you start with a diverse pool, it's not difficult after that. I can promise you we did not pick a single woman to be on any panel or to do any keynote at Indie Week because she was a woman. You know, we right. picked, everybody we picked was the best person for the job. I mean, Tamara Rivnack, you know, the head of music at Facebook did one of the keynotes and Kevin Lyles was the other keynote. So we had a, a woman keynote and an African-American keynote. Now, either one of those is a no-brainer. You know, it's not, right. it's not like you're not making concessions here. You know, you're not trying to sort of, you know, be politically correct. You know, these are amazing keynotes for our conference. I couldn't have picked anybody better. And it, that's the way it panned out, you know. So, yeah, you just have to dig deep. And, and really, to answer your question, I don't think it is that difficult. It just takes a little bit more thought and not going to the usual suspects, as it were. Right. And I think that's where we're at right now, which I think is the important point that everybody should understand is I think we have a deeper bench now than ever before in history. I mean, there's tons of women and people in, of color who are coming up and are in high positions. They may still not occupy the highest positions, though. And those, you know, the highest positions tend to still be occupied by white men. And like you said, when you, you think like, oh, who do we get to speak to this topic? And the, the head of the company is a white guy. Well, that's, you know, you think, okay, that person, yeah. but who's the number two? Who's the number three? You know, these people right. are often not white males. And I think we have to always sort of make that effort. So the other event that HYM puts on every year is the Libera Awards. So I know that you're also struggling and striving for diversity in many ways with the Libera Awards. So what's the plan with that? Well, then we did that last year, too, and then we had 50% women performers. Now, I mean, there's a little bit of a wiggle there in the sense that sometimes it's a woman leading the band, but 
you know, there are men in the band, and that's somehow hard to get around. But I feel okay about it if 50% of the performers are women-led or predominantly women. But again, there's a ton of women performers out there. I mean, you look at the Grammys this year after the fewer they had from last year, I don't think it was anybody on that stage that shouldn't have been there. You know, there's just so many talented women out there. It doesn't seem to me that it's that hard to come up with a, a mix. Again, it's, it's just dig a little deeper, make sure your pool is wide and deep, and you're going to come up with really, really great performance. Absolutely. We also at A2IM, I know, have been striving for genre diversity, which in itself is a very interesting challenge. It is. I mean, obviously, we currently have about eight performers at the Libero Awards, and that nowhere near covers the amount of genres that A2IM represents. And we try to sort of cycle it each year if we can. But yes, that is an issue. But by the way, the other issue is to make sure that all your backstage personnel are, are diverse as well. And that's an easy mistake to make. You know, the frontline people that are on the stage are diversified, but then all your backstage personnel are not. And the, again, not so difficult to do. The most difficult not to crack is the one that you identified earlier, which is at very top level, because, you know, you've got people that are in these jobs and they've been in these jobs for a while. Well, you can't just go through and throw people out because they're male. But, but I, I think it, well, maybe we could. But um, <laughs> depends on uh, the male, Richard. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. Very, yeah, I mean, we've been doing a pretty good job over the last year or so, haven't we? Uh, based on bad behavior, right? Right. But an HR person I, I used to know would say, "Well, I didn't fire them; they fired themselves." You know. Right. Right. <laughs> but I think that will correct itself over time. I mean, you've got to put people in place. And as you say, if, if women are moving up into number two position, I mean, I, in the office here, we have more women than men by a significant number. And my number two is a woman. Again, I mean, I, actually, I didn't go out looking for a woman. I, I actually had a, more men apply than women, but the woman who applied, this one particular woman, uh, Andrea, you know, I think is amazing. And, and it was, she was a very clear front runner for the job. So I think that that is an important issue, though, that it's one thing to diversify your organization or your show or your event or something like that. But if women and minorities get all the lower-level positions and, and white males get all the higher-level positions, I don't think you can really feel like you've done a good job. So I'm, I'm conscious of that, and we talk about that a lot, about having to diversify throughout the hierarchy, as it were, assuming there is any kind of hierarchy, and there pretty much always is. Yeah. But I think the key is really forethought, you know, thinking it through and, and, and debating the issues. And again, to go back to the never putting someone in there as a token, I think that's more insulting to put someone in as a token minority or a token oh, sure. woman. I think you really have to make sure that, you know, you're really making the right decision and putting the best person in because otherwise it's insulting in my view. Well, and also just the notion of tokenism in terms of like, oh, well, there's one black person on our board, for example. Yeah. Therefore, we have done representation, which is just nonsense. Like, yeah. we, we, I think we get that at this point, that that is nonsense. You need lots of perspectives and lots of backgrounds and all sorts of things. Yeah. You know, it's still a challenge for our industry, but I wanted to do this episode because I really feel like I've seen some big strides so far. It's only February in 2019, but I feel like I've already seen some big strides. And I know that you guys have been out ahead of the curve and are continuing to make that a priority in your organization. I'm seeing it in other organizations. I mean, how do you feel about the Grammys, which just happened last weekend? We were there, both of us. I actually think they did a great job. I think they did, yeah. I mean, first off, I think it, it's unfortunate that a lot of this change had to be 
sort of predicated on women's misfortune over the decades and actually probably the centuries and the millennia because it's been going on for a very long time. But I think we are seeing positive change. I think that, you know, uh, Alicia Keys was amazing, I thought, and I was actually gratified that you know, we have a an artist, a musician presenting. I actually thought LL Cool J did a good job too. But, you know, I can't see any reason, considering how artists and musicians stand up on stage in front of, you know, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, you know, why we need actors and comedians to present our shows when I think about it, you know. And so that sort of changed my thinking a little bit too about our award show, that not only is it good to have women and minorities, but it's also good to actually have artists and musicians because, that's our business, you know, and we should be presenting ourselves, not feeling like we have to go to some other discipline to compare or host our shows. But yeah, I thought in terms of the performances, women were well represented. And, you know, they obviously made a, a serious effort this year. Then I know that they've got a task force that's trying to diversify the organization. That's the staffing of the organization. They've also, you know, they're trying to diversify their membership. So I don't think that's uh, particularly diverse for whatever reason. And then, you know, there's a producer and engineering there. And I know they have a much higher percentage of producers and engineers that are women than is represented in the populace at large. I think, well, I don't know if it's populace at large, but certainly in the amount of, you know, in the records that come out and the hit records, there's still a very low percentage of women producing the big hits. And, and I believe that's a lack of opportunity. I think there's also an issue of lack of role models. I mean, I, I interviewed pretty much every big woman producer, you know, an engineer over the period when I was writing the four editions of my book. And, you know, there's no clear conclusion as to why women don't go into that profession. There are many theories about it, but the one theory I came out of it with is that, you know, when a young woman who's sort of embarking on a career doesn't see herself represented in a profession, they're likely to sort of turn away from that profession. And there's always a small percentage of minority or underrepresented group that will just drive through all those barriers. But for a significant number of people, they need to sort of feel that it's a possibility before they'll reach out. Some people just ignore that and just go for it no matter what. But I think if we want to see true egalitarian representation, then we need to actually make sure that the the role models are out there for the next generations to see. Absolutely. And I think that is a perfect place to end. Richard Burgess, CEO of A2IM, thank you so much for being with us today on The Future of What? Thank you so much, Portia. It's always a pleasure.
That was Excuse Generator by Lithix. You're listening to The Future of What. After the show, take a moment to leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. It helps people find the show, and we love hearing from you. When Kill Rockstars was looking for someone to take over our fulfillment operation, Merch Table stepped up to do the heavy lifting, moving our entire stock to their warehouse and helping us create merch our fans love. With Merch Table's support, we've been able to focus on the music and artists that matter to us. KRS loves Merch Table. See what they can do for your business at merchtable.com. You're listening to The Future of What. I'm talking to Terry Winston of the Women's Audio Mission. Terry, welcome back to The Future of What. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, so nice to have you. So since we spoke, something has come up, which I wanted to get your take on, which is this initiative, this sort of pledge to, you know, if you're going to make a record, to at least consider a female producer and engineer. Do you want to talk a little bit about this? Sure. I mean, I can tell you where it came from. Yes, tell me all the details. Well, I'm on the Diversity and Inclusion Task Force for the Recording Academy. And so that task force was formed to address some of the gender issues and other diversity issues. And one of the most glaring percentages, which, of course, Women's Audio Mission already knew about, was this incredible lack of women engineers and producers. So I think the task force, I mean, I'm on it, so I kept kind of pushing, like, we need to do something. And it was really, you know, it's hard to get everybody on the same page as far as what can be done. So I think this initiative is a baby step towards awareness. I don't necessarily know that it's a solution, but it's definitely a solution in the sense that it brings awareness to, because people, I don't think they knew how bad it was, Mm. certainly on the task force. I mean, there's label heads and managers and artists and nobody in that room knew it was that off. So I think this is a step in the right direction, if that's a way to describe it. Definitely. Can you explain exactly what the task force is asking people to do? We're asking anybody who's involved with, you know, making records. So that could be a label. It could be a manager. It could be the artists themselves to whenever they start to go down the rabbit hole of the recording process to at least consider bringing on a woman engineer or producer. And preferably that, the you know, it's just like any other hiring practice when you have, for instance, a human resources department or a diversity and inclusion person that's watching, you know, the percentages of people that are being considered and hired and whatnot, that you at least have, you know, a couple of people on that slate, you know, that are women, people of color, just so that there's diversity. Because it, it, it's very, I'm sure you know this as well as anybody, right, that it's a pretty kind of insular environment where, you know, you might recommend the same people over and over again, just because you've already worked with that person. Exactly. And I think it's really, well, you know, because my first reaction when I was asked to sign on to this was absolutely, you know, I would love to do that. But then my second reaction was, wait a minute, is there a database? (laughs) Because how am I going to find the women that I want to potentially hire if I don't already know them? Right. I think what was presented was a two-pronged approach. And so Women's Audio Mission, I mean, we have a database internally that we constantly keep adding to of about 200 women engineers and producers. And then She Is The Music is in uh, Spotify, both have databases. So I think you need to have both. One, you know, you need a more curated approach. For instance, I, the way that it's been successful for Women's Audio Mission is, you know, when we get, you know, a higher level artist and the manager calls in and said, this is what we're doing you know, we need to work somebody that's worked on an album 
at this level. And then, you know, it's easier to say, okay, these six people have all done records for this person or that person. And then they can say, oh, yeah, 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 send me all that, send me that. Whereas with when you have a kind of a database or a self-populated database, like I can't always get, you know, a manager or somebody like yourself, like to go through all those names, mm, you know? It's, yeah. And so we're constantly trying to, like, I just had a conversation with a big artist manager that I was like, look, would you take a chance on a younger person? I already gave you these five. And, you know, it, we're getting into that realm of like, again, narrowing down the pool. And, and he was really into it. He was like, yeah, I would give me two. So I gave two more and then they were really impressed and that moved forward. And I think as long as you have people that are really trying to diversify the pool all the time. Mm, yeah, Absolutely. So it sounds like you have already started to see some results from this. You know, we've been doing this for, we're in our 16th year. So we've placed 750 women on projects and in career paths. So we've been doing it for a while. We definitely got an uptick when it was announced. So yeah, it's definitely, and we've had full labels like calling and saying, okay, how can we coordinate this with you for these six projects or something? But it hasn't been like huge. So I wish I could say that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but right. I mean, we're battling. This is a. It's not something that's going to be fixed with a PR push. Definitely not. No, you know, definitely not. <laughs> so yeah, right. What's kind of funny is I think the task force. You know how people make the assumption like if you haven't solved it in 15 years, then you're just not doing a good job, or <laughs> you might not be doing this right. Right. When in fact, it's like our whole society is built on this. Right. So to chip away at it, like everybody has to chip at it from whatever spot they're in, you know? So that's kind of how I've been presenting it to the task force. I was like, look, artists need to make this demand. You know, labels need to make this demand. Managers need to, we all need to make this this demand. You know, it can't come from just one place. Absolutely. Well, it needs to be an industry-wide effort. And that's what this episode is about, is that 2019, to me so far, is really unfolding as sort of the year that diversity and inclusion and inclusion stopped being just words in the music industry, because I I feel like I'm seeing a lot more action. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've already talked to Michelle Ballantyne of the RIAA about the fact that they made their board like 50% more inclusive this year simply by actually recruiting people of color and women. Mm -hmm, That's great. And actually seeding them. So, you know, that's the bottom line with all of this stuff is you just have to do it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. That's the part that's hard for some people is it's really easy to just talk about this, but it's really hard to do it and put it into practice. But it's not actually that hard. You just do it. And I think this initiative is a great example of that, you know, just hire a female producer, you know, and once you've done it and you like what they do, then they get into your little black book, right? Then they become Mm -hmm. people that you rely on, just like you rely on whoever you currently work with. I mean, that's how it is for us all the time. Right. And then it's normal. Right. It's just normal. Just like it's a normal thing. We don't have to say woman engineer anymore. We could just be like, we hired an engineer and it's fine, you know. I mean, I do think the intentionality of it is important. And I think somehow that's uncomfortable for them. Like they're like, well, I don't want to just hire somebody just because they're a woman. I was like, that's not actually what this is about. So like, don't freak out about it. <laughs> like just put qualified people on there and give them a shot. Right. You're taking a huge risk on half of these people that you're hiring who are men. Right. Because I said, I said, when you're hiring those people, is it a risk? And are they men? And they're like, yes. I was like, so what's the, where's the different risk? Like, it's right. not more. <laughs> so right. I don't understand what the 
roadblock is there. But I will say from the task force that I will say the Recording Academy, similar to your RIAA, which I didn't hear about that. That's great. They diversified all of the committees. And I think that was really evident on the show this year. Yeah. I think that's a very similar thing, like just do it. You just make sure that there's 50% women and people of color on all of the nominating committees and all of the committees and look at what the result is. It, 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 you know, it's an instant change. I was really happy to see them take that really seriously and then see that, okay, that worked. Like, that worked great. Let's keep doing that. Yeah. And the other piece of this for me was last year's A2IM Indie Week conference in New York. They had gender parity on the panels. Oh, good. Which is probably the first time I've ever seen that at a conference. And they're completely committed to continuing that, you know, year over year. And I feel like it just makes a huge difference when you walk into a room and you see representation. It's a big deal for the people in the audience. And it's a big deal for people to know that they're part of this industry and that, you know, their opinions are going to count. And I think it's for everybody. I honestly, our studio here is run by women, but over 60% of our clients are men. So I I think the takeaway we got from that was that men want this. Mm -hmm. This isn't like just for women. Men prefer that environment too. Absolutely. They prefer to have a mixed environment and for whatever reason that is, right? But it's just, I think for people to focus on the fact like, oh, you just want that because you're women. It's like, no. It's for everybody. Everybody wants it. Sorry. I mean, yeah. everybody wants it. I, I just think that's the truth. So, yeah, of course, when you have a conference and there's parity, I think everyone's going to be happier. Yep, absolutely. So did you want to mention anything else that you think is important to mention that's going on in the industry right about now with regard to diversity and inclusion? Well, not to toot Lamb's horn, but I will. <laughs> We're doing a whole, and we've been doing these before, and I think the task force kind of, latched onto it and the Recording Academy helped sponsor it is that we're doing these conferences all over the country so that for two reasons. One, so that we can celebrate the women engineers and producers in that region because oftentimes people don't know of them. And it's like they're working on huge records, you know. And then two, so that the young women in that region can get connected with these engineers and producers so they have mentors and they receive some training. So we're doing a big conference in Nashville April 27th and 8th at Ocean Way Studios Nashville in partnership with Change the Conversation. Mm. And we have Linda Perry coming out, Emily Lazar. And I'm so excited because we never get a chance to really celebrate the Nashville women engineers and producers that much. But Gina Johnson, Shani Gandhi. So these are folks that worked on Casey Musgraves and Allison Krauss, you know, Brandy Carlisle record. So these are engineers on Grammy-winning records, so they should be celebrated. I'm really, so I'm super excited because we haven't been there yet. So that's going to be really fun. That's fantastic. That's really exciting. How how many of those are you guys going to do? We're going to do three this year. Mm -hmm. We did one last year in New York at Jungle City, Alicia Keys Studio, and uh, with YouTube. And we did one in Los Angeles at Capitol Studios. And so we're doing another one in Los Angeles, more film focused. And then we're also doing going back to New York again and doing this. So it'll be three this year. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, we want to do more. We're, we're just, we have to raise the money. Yeah, no doubt. Well, Terry Winston, thank you for being with me on The Future of What today. It was such a pleasure to talk to you. Always a pleasure to talk to you. You guys have a great day.
That was My Red Self by Heavens to Betsy. Also check out our short podcast series about Bratmobile's potty mouth. It's called Girl Germs, and you can get it wherever you get your podcasts. And that's our show. The music we played today was used by permission. You heard Filthy Friends, Lithics, Heavens to Betsy, and of course, our theme song, Mind Your Own Business by the Delta Five. Subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. For more info on our shows, check out our website at killrockstars.com slash the future of what and sign up for our newsletter. Our program was engineered by Brent Asbury at Beta Petrol and is produced by Will Watts and Anna McLean. I'm Portia Sabin, president of Kill Rock Stars. See you next week.